Welcome to Machine Learning. General learning models. I actually think that general learning models might be where you should always start your analysis of the data. And the reason why is um, you want to find which features are going to help uh, um, with your, your fitting. And you can do uh, variance analysis or deviance analysis between the features and see how much each feature is contributing um, to the model. Now you can do the same thing with lasso, but uh, I, I, um, you could what with the, the uh, with the general learning model you can do things like collinearity. You can take the different combinations of features and then look to see uh, if they're collinear, and then start removing features that are collinear. Because what you're going to get is overfitting or underfitting um, of the data. You can get that uh, with if you have collinearity. And the other thing that you can see, I think, also with the general learning model, that's nice is that you can see whether or not the feature is statistically significant. You know, and. Uh, and those the, and that and that's very helpful too. Um, so, you know, looking at, uh, you know, how much does this feature, one feature, add to the model accuracy versus uh, in combination with the other, is kind of like almost like an art, but. Uh, you know, you can kind of see the, the beginnings of maybe taking the co the general le le uh, linear model and then uh, running through some discovery stages, figure out what your features are, and then feed that into your logistic regression model. Versus just taking all of your features and throwing it into logistic logistic log uh, log regression model and uh, then removing features to try to find the accuracy. Well, yeah, and in the case where we were studying switching on wells and uh, uh, satellites for crabs, it, it worked really nice with uh, the multi-features. One of the things that they didn't introduce is the predictability using uh, second-order polynomial, you know, which would be your parabola. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting that they see with with the second-order polynomial, you can kind of see where the maximum is on the prediction. Um, so you see the high point in the data, and uh, you can see the steepness of the data. Too, in terms of, of uh, density surrounding that uh, uh, maximum. But all you have to do on that is, in your equation, uh, take the feature and raise it to the second power. And then in your prediction uh, data frame, 
you would uh, make sure that you have the feature raised to the second power. So whatever feature that you're you're analyzing, raise that to the second power. And then uh, you can um, uh, feed that into your model and see what predictions that it's uh, producing. So, uh, you know, it, it's uh, interesting because then you can, what you can see is kind of how much each uh, from the summary, the print study on your model, you can see how much each feature contributes to the probable outcome. So then you can see how much the weight of uh, the crab contributes to the outcome or the log odds. And you can also see um, the, how much each variation in width and also the color, um, whether or not there's a correlation to the color. I, and when I looked at the deviance on it, color didn't look like it was contributing. So it was really uh, width and weight that was contributing to the satellite uh, value for the craft. And so you get good at, uh, I think with the linear model, analyzing the coefficients and then interpreting what the coefficients are telling you. And then you can do some modeling of it too with the visuals to kind of make sure that visually it makes sense. Um, but that can be applied to a lot of different business cases. And then from that, then you can uh, begin to, uh, to build your automation pipeline. And, uh, you know, building that automation pipeline is really important because it will give you, uh, you got to have, a, you have to have a tool to analyze your automation pipeline to see if, if uh, things have changed. And so going back to the linear model is a good way to see, you know, what things have changed in your data. You know, like originally in statistics, they, they were talking about, uh, I forget the name of a bird, but they were look, measuring the beak, beak length and, and width of the, this particular bird. And they saw that in, uh, I think it was Australia, there was a migration path of this particular type of finch that went to Australia. And they noticed that the beak sizes were bigger. And then they, they said, well, okay, what, what, what are the environmental things that were surrounding um, the bird? And they found that, you know, there was a drought. And so some of the, the nuts were, were uh, larger and harder. And so they, they think that the bird's beaks adapted to cracking open the, the bigger and harder nuts. So they could see in the data that there was a difference and, uh, you know, as you're analyzing data, uh, it's going to reveal to you different levels. And I, I found that was kind of interesting too, because I had been kind of wondering, how do you deal with categorical data um, where, you know, you, you may not see at first the categorical data, 
but then I with the with the army data I I I took the different weight ranges and then I looked up the standards for what they considered classifications for underweight, overweight, uh, and just right, what the body, how to calculate the body mass index. Uh, then I looked at, you know, what was the ranges and height for a person who's tall, medium, or short. And so those became now categories. Now in the linear model, you can use the D matrix from Patsy can import that in and you can then see kind of like the one hot encoding results of the matrices when you apply a categorical data now the categorical data has to be encoded as a number and then but once it's a number you can differentiate the categories uh, using the keyword C and the formula. So C and then the categorical. And then you can also have C and the, or you can have, uh, uh, for your feature, you can apply your own function or you can uh, calculate identity matrix C and then it'll add the two, two, two MP arrays together into one array. Or you can use MP log and get the logarithmic uh, uh, value, log value, uh, or you can do standard and get the standardized, uh, you know, take the standard deviation, divide it into the number so it, it reduces down noise. And you can also find the center. So these are all things that you can apply into your formula uh, to the variables. But um, Going back to that categorical data, so yeah, looking at that categorical data, I realized that um, that you know when I looked at the matrices, it's just basically one hot encoded matrices, and uh, it was in your D matrix, and that's exactly what the formula is converted to is a D matrix. So it's taking your X and Y and converting it into a D matrix, and you're then uh, expanding the categories into one hot encoding and then that's fit, fit fed into the linear model where it's now doing a, a fitting equation to try to fit based on the variance to the line and reduce down the error so again you know we're, we're talking uh, similar terminology that we do with machine learning and we've done it uh, all pretty much with linear programming and statistics. So again, that, that shows that machine learning is nothing more than statistics. But uh, that would then imply that we should spend more time with statistics. So I was talking to my wife about, you know, how uh, deep learning really kind of like bypasses a lot of this complexity. As we just say deep learning, just throw all the features at the network get your inputs, figure out how many features you have, and then you just throw them all at the network, and then you run epics until, you know, you get a good training, and then you can, you know, add different types of layers or dense layers, uh, depending on what level of, of extraction of features that you're, you want the deep learning to acquire. And then it, it uh, 
the weighting adjustments figure out you know what features are contributing to the accuracy and which ones aren't and uh, and then that's pretty powerful in the, in that sense because you you then get these really um, quick results but you really don't understand too much about the data or the levels that exist in the data or even the categories or, or some of the maybe the, the levels of stratification that you can discover in the data that, that might have some correlation and because of that um, it's uh, it can be very challenging to uh, make corrections in deep learning networks and then even getting the deep learning network topology right and also the specific type of deep learning network specific to the problem can be very challenging. But one thing I've noticed with deep learning networks is they learn almost every system, but there's, they learn a particular function. They don't learn multiple functions simultaneously. So I learned that with the linear algebra because I was trying to teach the, the deep learning network how to do a determinant. And with one determinant, it was accurately predicting the results. So I was like really happy. I said like, great. I wonder if I can generalize this and train it against now two determinant results and it will discover the rules. And it couldn't seem to get the rules for the two different determinants because they were actually two different functions if you think about it and the result would be some merge between those two different functions so then I realized that when we write an equation in mathematics that handles a general behavior that doesn't mean that that will translate one-to-one -to, -one to a deep learning network Um, but if that one function is, say, like a circle, then it would, it would translate. Uh, so you can find the equation of a circle. You can find the equation of a, a parabola. You can find the equation of, you know, a, uh, any sine or cosine function. But these complex linear transformations where uh, there can be more than one equation resulting... It, it can't do that. It has to, it will try to interpolate between those two different functions. So there's a lot of, I think there's still a lot of analysis that has to go into thinking about equations and, uh, and engineering. And the, the idea that deep learning will just replace all engineering is probably false. Uh, because in, in, in the essence, even when you set up the deep learning network, you're probably going to run statistical modeling using linear, uh, general linear models to understand which features might be messing up your model. Like, say that you're using an XGBoost classifier and you're trying to detect fraud detection and you realize that you're not getting all the outlier cases and there's, there's something that you're missing in your model that's preventing it uh, from a higher accuracy. 
so then you could use you could do some uh, general linear models and, and analyze you know your 100 or 200 features and try to eliminate the features that are your outlier features that are causing model inaccuracy. Um, so again, I think that there's going to be more and more of this forensic type of work in machine learning where, you know, you're going to take people with strong mathematic backgrounds and engineering backgrounds, knowledge and uh, statistics, and they're going to apply that knowledge to uh, data models that exist or you know, machine learning models that already exist, and then they're going to evaluate them. And, and they're going to tell you, you know, is there over dispersion in the model? Is there, uh, is it, uh, are the variables statistically significant? Is there collinearity? Uh, things like that. And things that, you know, probably that the data scientists should have uh, been thinking about, but, but may not have. And uh, those are, are, are going to be, you know, significant in terms of uh, of improving accuracy, and so the, you know the desire to uh, have audits on the accuracy of the machine learning, I think, could be a business model that emerges in the future, where you know maybe your large uh, uh, big six companies uh, start offering uh, machine learning analysis of the existing automation pipelines to see if there's some improvements that can occur and uh, give recommendations on what those improvements might be. Uh, because in the, in the era of efficiency, though, that, efi that increase in efficiency could translate to improved profits. And so while there is a chance of improved profits, uh, that, that might be something that uh, could be really useful. But, it, you know, it's going to be come down to the marketing, and that's what I'm, I'm seeing there. It's going to be a marketing angle and uh, rather than a compliance angle that's going to drive uh, the... the uh, enhancement in the existing pipelines.